We're back. It's the Sagabit Swinging Report Show. Get ready as we interview Stephen Frost, producer of Sonic Boom. Hello and welcome to episode 56 of the Sagabit Swinging Report Show. I'm Barry and joining me is the pudding to my ooh-la-la George. Hello. And we also have David from Sonic Retro. Hello there. And we'd like to invite our very special guest, Mr. Stephen Frost of Sag of America, producer of Sonic Boom. Hello, Stephen. Hey, how are you guys doing? Good. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, uh, my pleasure. My pleasure. Yeah, we. Uh, I, I just wanted to comment. The, uh, the, the big event in New York was uh, pretty impressive. It's probably... I mean, I'd say it's probably one of the best rollouts I've seen recently for from Sega. Oh, thank you. We yeah, a lot of people worked hard on that one. It was uh, it was a you know challenging months leading up to that, given all the the different groups that were involved and the messaging and all that stuff. But it seemed to come together in the end. So that's really all that matters, I think. Yeah, I before we really get into it, I just want to note it. It was nice that I was really fearing that we'd be sitting on Twitter just relying on some cell phone pics, but within. <laughs> Maybe 20, 30 minutes, the trailers already started releasing, which was really yeah. great. Yep, yep. So, um, but before we get into that, I wanted to invite you to join us in an old Segabit Swing and Report show tradition uh, where we tell everyone what we've been up to and what we've been playing. So, if you want to kick things off, Stephen, be our guest. Sure. Um, well, let's see here. You know, what I've been up to, obviously, um, leading up to the event in New York, uh, that was a lot of um, just work and collaboration with folks to get everything together. After that, we had maybe a week, I think, of a little bit of relaxation and, and catching our breaths um, uh, before the next uh, big hurdle, which is going to be E3, obviously. Um, mm -hmm. We're going to be showing the game at E3, so now sort of the ramp up of preparing everything um, and getting the levels uh, that we need to show ready. Uh, for the show is the sort of the biggest priority. So that's the from a work perspective, that's probably the biggest thing that's on my mind on, on a daily basis. Um, as far as playing stuff, um, I'm sort of all over the place right now. I, I've been uh, I jumped into Strider uh, a little bit uh, okay. now that it came it came out. I'm a big Strider fan, um, so I was glad um, to see the remake. And so I have I've only spent maybe like mm, 45 minutes on that so far. Um, and then I'm a bit behind on my um, Arkham City Origins sort of thing, so I'm trying to finish up the Batman stuff. And what else was I playing? Oh, there's a bunch of stuff recently. I think there's a Rockstar sale on PSN, so I stacked up on some stuff there and need to catch up on some some more Red Dead, I think Redemption and things like that. So just all over the place. I like to mix things up a little bit and always try different types of games and genres. Uh, so, um, you know, every week is a little bit different for me. <laughs> Very cool. And George, what have you been up to and what have you been playing? Uh, this weekend, I don't know. I kind of, this, this weekend was one of those weekends I was going to actually work on articles and I kind of already wasted it <laughs> and didn't work on articles. Yeah, it's but, Monday. Uh, <laughs> I did. I did get addicted to Starbound, which is terrible, terrible. It's like a game that's kind of like Minecraft, but it's 2D and it's pixelated, and it has like a sci-fi theme where you mine, but you're mining for fuel for your spaceship to go to another, like another planet, and you visit all these planets and then you explore them and like you basically mine again. But there's like bosses and it's it's pretty cool, but it's it's a little addicting. Oh, it's so, it's yeah, life-ruiningly addictive. Yes, because it takes forever to do anything. <laughs> but yeah, I've been playing that. What about you, Barry? Oh, I've uh, I went to the retro game shop uh, last weekend and I picked up some. They had a lot of 3DS stuff on sale. I got uh, Bust a Move Universe and um, what's that tank that uh, submarine game? Um, Which submarine game for what? For 3DS. I don't know. Oh, Steel was... Diver. Right? Oh, Steel Diver. Yeah, Steel Diver. Yeah, yeah. So both of those were four bucks, uh, which was pretty cool. And then I got. Um, I've been. I've been on a big Sega CD 32X kick, so I got a lot of FMV games that were five bucks each. Um, and then I got. Little Turtle was nice. Yeah, yeah. It's it's frustrating though. Like, I I'm 29 right now, and when I think back to my childhood, I think of all these games I couldn't play just because I didn't have the skills. And so I think now. <laughs> I, I pick up these FMV games. I'm like, 
I can I can beat Sewer Shark. I can beat Corpse Killer. I play it and I die within the first two minutes. Yeah, yeah. I've 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 never beaten Sewer Shark. It's uh, <laughs> I've and tried. The game uh, Prize Fighter. That thing's near impossible to play. I I have no idea how to do that. Um. So it's it's one of those things where, yeah, yeah. FMV games weren't weren't the best idea, but um. Let's see what else have I been playing? That's that's pretty much it. Just FMV games and 3DS titles. A really weird mix right there. <laughs> that um, is a very eclectic eclectic mix. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it's it's interesting that the 3DS is the more impressive of the two. Uh, well, yeah, I just remember Sewer Shark. I remember loading it up for the first time on the Sega CD, and I was like so excited. You know, back then everyone was excited about the fmv stuff in these long intros from the pc side and and we had the super i mean you look back at now it's super grainy and pixely and compressed to death yeah. but i remember finally those like i still remember finally the intro to sewer shark and just sitting there for the first time like this is awesome <laughs> it's to be fair intro. sewer shark sewer shark is one of the better fmv games out there oh. uh let's see who did else you ever, we uh did you ever play marky mark and the funky bunch making my music video <laughs> I, I do want that, actually. It's on my list. That's, <laughs> that's the only Make My Video that actually has new footage of the person singing. Like, the crisscross stuff, that's just, you know, the, um, the music. In excess? In excess, yeah. But they actually got a hold of Marky Mark, and uh, he filmed a little bit in a locker room with a bunch of teenage girls. I mean, he's just standing so there, and he goes, Make My Video. He's yeah. a Sega character, technically. Right. right. He, Oh man, he should be in All Stars Racing. <laughs> we get that? Don't, don't, don't give him ideas, dude. <laughs> yeah, <seriously. laughs> now this podcast is going to be banned. Um, uh, let's see, David, what have you been uh, playing? Oh, um, well, let's see. I've uh, I, I've been playing a lot of Sonic Dash for some reason. It's been a bit more addicting than. Because I downloaded it when it came out, played it a little bit, but recently I've just sort of, I've been playing it every day, obsessively, which, I mean, why not? Um, what else? Oh, I, I forced my younger brother because a few months back he got a, got a Wii U, brand new and shiny, and I was waiting for him to set it up so I could uh, steal it. And you know, have uh, an intimate Lost World session, but it was sitting there for months and months. And I'm like, how how have you not opened this thing yet? So I kind of forced him to have fun. Um, I haven't actually gotten a, a chance to really get into Lost World yet, but uh, I played around a little bit with uh, like New Super Mario Brothers Wii U because I had that for some reason the day the Wii U came out and mm. had nothing to play it on. So I'm catching up on the new stuff and then i'm hoping that when things settle down because like i was at a wedding this weekend and work's been busy and i just really haven't had the chance to sit down and game escape exactly <laughs> so i'm i'm waiting to i'm hoping this weekend can just sit down and you know spend 12 hours playing sonic like i used to when i was a kid oh. <laughs> <laughs> don't we all yeah well, um Stephen, I uh, before we even get into Boom, I wanted to ask you: um, uh, Did you want to tell us a little bit about your history with Sega? Maybe some of the games you've worked on in the past. Uh, sure. I mean, I, I have a. Uh, it's not that interesting of history, but I, I've worked at a variety of sort of different publishers. Uh, you know, originally uh, went to college in Oregon and. and Started my sort of uh, game career at Dynamics, which was a Sierra uh, sort of studio, and they did like Red Baron, and um, they did um, um, it's kind of like a mixture of a different variety of types of PC games. Obviously, PC was kind of big back then still, and I kind of uh, cut my teeth there, starting in QA and kind of learning the process and and going a little bit into design and, and production work. Um, right when I was leaving, I think they were just about to finish the, la the first Tribes title, if any of you guys play Tribes. Um, and um, wanted to sort of need to come to California or some other location for uh, game development, because in Oregon there wasn't much at the time. Um, mm -hmm. So I knew this was a field that I wanted to get into. And it was very difficult. You know, I interviewed a lot of different places, but it's difficult for at that time for game companies to kind of hire you sight unseen and fly you down there as a job. So it was a little bit of a struggle initially. 
Um, but just through sort of luck, um, I used to read obviously a lot of magazines back then, Next Generation Magazine, Ultra Game Players, all these sort of imagined media stuff back then. And um, managed to eventually, after a, a bit of back and forth, land a sort of a webmaster slash writer position for Ultra Game Players Online. So, you know, I wrote articles about gaming, um, helped a lot of the structure of the websites, um, actually started the basic foundation for what would eventually become IGN.com back then. Oh, wow. Um, so at that point, before I sort of came in, there were separate sites. So there's like PSX Power and N64, and there's a Sega Saturn uh, website, and they're all separated. And it sort of came to this realization that we need to sort of connect everything together under a consistent theme and banner, and that would eventually spiral and become IGN. Um, at that same time, you know, there was opportunities. I was doing a bit of freelance writing for magazines. We we're starting up a new PlayStation magazine called PSM. Um, and so I uh, had a chance to jump over and start up that PlayStation magazine and, and work there for quite a few years, um, knowing, however, that I wanted to get back into gaming. So I always kept my sort of, you know, ear to the ground and, and listening and eventually uh, managed to land a gig at EA um, right at the height of their, you know, when they're super big um, and they had like so many games coming out. Um, and I worked on uh, a couple of RTSs there. I worked on Oddworld, Stranger's Wrath. Um, and some other stuff, if you guys know the Oddworld games. And, um, and then eventually, uh, following my sort of uh, comic book Marvel fandom stuff, I, I jumped over to Activision and, and worked on the first probably like year and a half of uh, what would come Wolverine, the Wolverine game. Oh, wow. Uh, so, um, uh, and then I had a bunch of friends and stuff who were at Sega. Sega was, uh, had a lot of exciting properties and stuff. They had signed the Marvel things as well. Um, and so uh, I eventually kind of decided to uh, jump ship there and join my friends over at Sega. And I've been here, I think, around eight years now or close to eight years, um, having worked on a mixture of stuff, everything from, like, the Genesis collections uh, that you guys have probably seen uh, various iterations of. Oh, yeah. Uh, Crazy Taxi stuff, some of the Marvel stuff, an RTS called Universe of War, uh, Shinobi on 3DS, um, just a mixture, a large mixture of stuff. Um, and I think that, you know, a lot of us here are fans, uh, are fans of Sonic. I am as well. And I think just the natural transition of working on some of the legacy titles and then sort of the initial attempts of, of the stuff that I learned of, of bringing a Shinobi kind of back a little bit uh, kind of helped to sort of spark my interest and other people's interest in getting me on um, Sonic Boom. That's interesting. Yeah. So I just wanted to say I remember – that Sega Saturn set, I used to be obsessed reading it way back then. Like, I, I didn't realize that you worked on that, so... <laughs> yeah, there was a... I was, I was more on the back end, and, and I did a little writing here and there, but yeah, that was uh, that was the, the early, early days um, for sure of, of that stuff, and it was neat to see it come together, and obviously it's cool to see where IGN is um, yeah. today. Um, but yeah, it was great. It was the heyday of Imagine when we had Next Generation Magazine, which was I love to death, and, and okay, those guys, yeah. and then um, and uh, all the other sort of periodicals that we were working on. So yeah, that was that was a great time just to be in the industry and being able to cover games. It was, it was really exciting, and I learned so much and loved it so much. So you you definitely made the jump from print to to digital. Um, what, what's your thoughts on print at the moment? Um, I'm a little bit weird because I, I maybe it's because of all the time that I've spent on the print side, but there's just something about the physical. Uh, paper in my hands, like a physical product mm -hmm. that I like so much. Um, it can't compete, obviously, with the on-the-fly updating of uh, websites and just online in general. But I thought that a lot of the stuff that NextGen did, which was like trying to get the exclusives, trying to do those, those great interviews that you didn't see online, going more in-depth in this stuff, I think that's a niche that they, you know, that magazines can still find a place for. I know it's very, very challenging, yeah. obviously, but I always have sort of a special place for print magazines. I just love still getting them. I subscribe to a lot of magazines now, and I just love – obviously, I go online a lot every day and read about stuff. But it's still kind of exciting to see something physical that people have sort of worked together to create you know, in a physical format. I, had, I actually had a question about the way you guys do the Genesis collections. Do, how do you guys choose the games? Like, because some of those usually have like 50 games. Um, it's tough because basically, I mean, we've we've released a couple iterations of that stuff now, and obviously through the history, 
uh, going back, we've done quite a fair of, of compilations. Um, it's tough. We kind of go through with each producer, and we kind of go through and make this long list of games that we would like to check status on and things like that. And there's a lot of parts, right, because you have, you know, who owns the rights to the music? Who owns the rights to you know artwork or concepts in the game? Do you know does Sega fully own it, or is it a partnership with someone like I don't know, like Treasure or someone like that? Um, and there's so so many components. And the first part, the large chunk of each of those projects, is just spent on figuring out uh, who owns the rights to what. Can we get it? You know, and uh, and things like that. So it's a very sort of arduous process because these things change all the time. You know, rights run out or get regained, um, and it's just this whole long process of who owns the rights to this now, and can we get it, um, et cetera, et cetera. So that's that's a huge chunk, and that's what it boils down to. It's a like, what's the fans? What what do fans want? You know, polling even internally at Sega, what what are games that people want to see, and then thirdly, like, what is even possible to get um, given the parameters of you know legal rights and things like that. Wow, so it's, it's much more of an undertaking than just dipping into the bin of games and being like, toss these 50 on. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely uh, challenging, um, especially from the heyday of, of Sega, these classic games and who worked on them. And you don't, and a lot of times it's just out of respect. So it might be not a case that someone um, has the legal rights to something, but, you know, Sega being sort of the proper Japanese company, we want to make sure that, you know, the original creators are, are aware of this, that they're okay with how we're treating it and things like that. So there's whole, this whole process of just their kind of, you know, general approval as well. So there's definitely a lot of parts that go into it. Mm -hmm. And you're definitely putting this uh, talent into play when you're working on Boom, I'm sure. Oh, <laughs> yes, for sure, for sure, for sure. Um, but uh, I, I wanted to get into some general questions we had about uh, your role on Sonic Boom. Of course. Um, you mentioned that your work on Shinobi was one of the main factors. Um, so with, um, with both the, the TV show and the video game, what, what sort of role do you play with both? I know that the video game's more your focus. Yeah. Um, so obviously this is a project that's, that's been in works for a while now, uh, you know, several years at least. And, um, it was, uh, a case early on where the animation and the game were sort of on separate kind of paths. Um, and we eventually sort of reached a point where we came together and had a chance to come together to show each other what we were working on and our ideas. And so when the animation folks came in and saw what we were doing, they were really excited about it because a lot of the challenge um, on the cartoon side is developing the foundation for everything, right? It's what is this world? What characters are we going to have in here? Where are their personalities? Where are their interactions? You know, what are we basing it off of? Um, so the cartoon guys knew that they wanted to try something a little bit different, something new, um, and they just weren't sure to how to go about it initially. And so they saw what we were doing and sort of the, the process that we had already gone through to kind of build up um, the the location of where this, this game is taking place, uh, who the character, main characters are, you know, who the villains are, um, what is the history of this world, uh, and things like that. And they said, wow, we could really build a lot off of this. Um, hmm. You know, there's a solid foundation here. Uh, we can run with it. And that's sort of where the genesis of how um, this whole synergistic relationship started happening with the cartoon and the game. And so we spent a lot of time talking together early on. So in, in its early days, um, I was a lot more involved in the cartoon as far as, uh, you know, looking at artwork of how things were being made, the scripts and things like that. However, you know, we reached a point soon after where everyone had to sort of accelerate what they were working on. There's no way that I could put much of my time into the animation stuff. But it was still really cool to contribute to that, to help drive uh, where the, the animation was going, to work with the talented folks over there to sort of craft um, sort of the experience of Sonic Boom and what it's going to be. Um, and just kind of giving feedback on even little things like, you know, the wrist communicator thing on Sonic's uh, arm, wrist that you see in the proof of concept animation, right, mm -hmm. uh, that has been released. So um, it's, it's neat to be able to contribute to that because normally I wouldn't have had probably an opportunity to really be that involved uh, on an animation show. You just don't get that opportunity many times in life. So mm -hmm. that was great. But, you know, 
once we sort of built the foundation, um, we kind of uh, went on and we continue to communicate and meet and stuff on a regular basis. But obviously everyone has their set goals now and things like that. And then I've had to focus um, on the game. Um, and it's not just me, obviously, on the game. This is a huge project. So there's other producers uh, involved in this project, which will come to the spotlight soon enough in the future, um, mm -hmm. for sure. Um, it just so happens that I've been involved with it pretty much from the early days um, and, and mostly tied with the, the Wii U skew, for sure. So that's how um, I sort of uh, have been involved with it. And, and in my general role on a day-to-day -day basis, it's just the management of the project, the Sonic Broom Games from a Sega perspective, you know, from a publisher perspective, making sure that we're achieving the goals that we need to, uh, you know, on time and with the, the quality level that um, we're aiming for. Hmm. So this is really a first for Sega because I, I remember as a kid in the past, a game would come out and you might see the Freedom Fighters in like a bonus stage, but it's really <laughs> minimal. Um, uh, so that's, that's really interesting. So... Um, you can answer this if you want. What does uh, Aaron Weber? What what is he doing? Is he doing something similar to you? Uh, Aaron is is a really good friend of mine. I love Aaron to death. Um, he is such a wealth of knowledge uh, of Sonic in general and the the history of Sega. Mm -hmm. um, he's uh, he helps out quite a bit, and I I, I kind of ping him a lot. But he's got a lot of focus on uh, his Hatsune Miku stuff. Right. Uh, quite a bit, um, but I definitely drag him over whenever, and he's he's obviously still involved in in whatever capacity he can. Like he was at, uh, he was the voice of of God at the New York event, and so he he shows up from time to time, and and uh, um, and we try to pull him in as much as we can. So I I don't know as far as from a marketing perspective as we go along how much. Um, involvement he'll be but you know for all the he'll be there at all the conventions and all the the, the comic cons that we go to and all this stuff so he's definitely he's definitely around and um i will always try to utilize him as much as i can yeah definitely if if the guys at sonic retro ever have questions he's the one to, yeah. to point to for the answers for sure for sure <laughs> yeah no definitely it's uh Aaron and Sonic Retro has a very special relationship. <laughs> uh, he's, a good guy. he's a good guy. I I, I, I do yeah. really I do really love Aaron uh, quite a bit. He's he's such a positive spirit and amount of energy and his excitement for um, Sonic and the Sega properties helps to push everyone along at this company. So that's very cool. Well, I'm I'm looking forward to dealing with you more in in terms of the Sonic uh, uh, just goings ons. So that's, yeah, that's really exciting. Um, in the past, I wasn't really sure what you worked on aside from Shinobi. So this is really interesting. Um, how early did production start on the TV show and game? Did one come before the other? Um, they were both. I mean, they were both uh, really when we came together around the same time. I mean, animation, I guess if you had to lead one, maybe start a little bit early. But that was more about the logistics of getting the team together and the production teams and, and kind of – um, figuring out what they're actually going to do because there's a lot of pre-production work that begins even before you know anything starts on that stuff. Um, so, but I would say you know they've both been uh, going on for uh, a couple of years, uh, and um, you know as far as where everyone hit the ground running, I think everyone hit the ground running around the same time frame. You know, so. Okay, so it was always seen as a multimedia project. Oh, for sure, for sure. I mean, the the times that when I say that we're sort of separating stuff, that was not a very uh, long period at all. I mean, the moment that we sort of came together, we understood the benefits uh, of working together and connecting everything. So for the vast majority of this project, that's been the case. Um, how how is Sonic Team involved in the project? What exactly do they? What role do they play? So they are, as with any other um, group, the IP holders, right? They have the vast uh, understanding of the characters. Uh, they've been the main guys responsible for the franchise for the last 20-odd years. And so they're an invaluable resource. They, they consult quite a bit. They help us with every aspect of the game, from the character designs um, to uh, gameplay suggestions to, um, you know, little things like, uh, you know, how... Uh, how Sonic, you know, walks or runs and things like that. So they they definitely are a key component of this. And I talk with them in some capacity, you know, every day, either through email or vidcons and things like that. So um, 
Um, it is a Western sort of run production for sure, but you know, I would be completely remiss if I didn't uh, sort of share how important the Sonic Team relationship is. Without them, you know, um, a lot of this stuff wouldn't have been possible, and just their experience and the things that they've learned have been invaluable for us and the team. And you're also planning on uh, creating toys too, because I, I know you have a TV show game, and mm-hmm. Tommy was mentioned a little bit. We've seen uh, since I've submitted these questions. Uh, we've actually seen photos of the toys. Um, oh, yeah. Can you yep. tell us a little bit about your partnership with Tomy? Um, yeah, that's an, an exciting uh, sort of uh, relationship, actually. And um, the first time I actually had a chance to um, see the toys was briefly at the, the New York event. They actually, at the last minute, managed to bring some prototypes. Um, and I was you know, sort of giddy uh, seeing it because it's, it's really awesome to be able to, having worked on this project for uh, the years that I have, and and seeing the transition, the journey of the character designs, to be able to see that in physical form, you know, on a display was so exciting to me. It was a, sort of a surreal moment, for sure. Um, but, um, yeah, you know, with, with this new sort of direction with uh, Sonic, as far as this, this initiative, we sort of evaluated all aspects of the partnerships, and that included the toy and, and the licensing partners outside of toys and things like that. So we looked at everything, and we wanted to make sure that we are sort of partnering up with the folks that really understood the synergistic um, sort of ideals that we were trying to imbue on this whole um, Sonic Boom project and mm-hmm. could provide a lot of um, you know, exciting sort of synergistic qualities as well. So being able to go back and forth and work with those guys, uh, whoever it, was, it would be, to, to craft some toys that were, you know, obviously fulfill the standard expectations of figures, but also kind of take our toy lines to sort of that, if I dare say, that next level <laughs> of interaction and stuff like that. And, um, you know, we evaluated and talked with everybody, and, and Tomy was the, the group that we really loved and felt, at least in specifically for the Sonic Boom side, would be the ideal partner. Um, and, you know, I don't deal with them so much on a day-to-day basis. That's our wonderful licensing group. Mm-hmm. But I do get the, the lucky uh, aspect of seeing sort of the, the toy prototype ideas and sketches and stuff like that and, and kind of providing feedback on that stuff too. So, But so far, I've been really uh, excited to see what they, they've been working on. Uh, the folks that told me that I've had a chance to talk to at New York and other areas um, seem really, really excited and passionate about this project as well so mm-hmm. hopefully that will come across in all the toys that you see out on store shelves well yeah we've seen um i believe we've seen all the main characters i'm i was surprised to see the uh eggmobile or the uh eggomatic or whatever for uh Eggman, oh, yeah. that they're actually making one for the first time yeah um, i we really love that I and mean, i think maybe just <laughs> off the basis of like i think people loved seeing it in uh the the animation trailer and stuff like that and it's such a cool part of of Eggman, so it sort of makes sense to, to finally come out with something like that. And um, I know David might have seen this too, and you don't need to comment on it, but the photos out there, it's it's a car, a Sonic car uh, from the boom line, so we've seen cool. that. I don't know what yeah, that yeah. what that hey, to entails. Be fair, to be fair, I mean, not a, Superman not a had a car, and, you know, Superman can fly, but they gave him a car, so I'm not going to say a thing. <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs> Uh, so I'm interested to see what what that's all about in the future, but um, uh, in in reference to the TV show um, and the video game, are we going to be seeing any human characters similar to uh, Sonic Adventure, or Sonic Unleashed, or are we going to be seeing any new animal characters outside of? Because uh, I know it's been said that we're going to see other characters from the Sonic universe in the future. Yeah, I mean, I I. Um... I, uh, I have to be careful how I say this stuff because I don't want to, I don't want to disappoint people and I don't want to get too, people too excited. But what what is important to us is and, and what people have to think about is this is a very rich world and we're trying to build um, and I, I keep saying world and this world that and world this but it's really important honestly. Um, mm-hmm. uh, the the great aspect of the cartoon and the game and the toys working together is that we can continue to build parts of this world um, and connect them, uh, whereas maybe one medium couldn't do it all. So being able to explore certain areas uh, in the game uh, and seeing those in the cartoon or exploring areas that you don't see in the cartoon and vice versa, things like that, helps to build out this world. And since this world is fairly large, I would imagine that 
um, Sonic and team are not the only inhabitants of it. Um, so that goes to show you that, yes, A, we will be trying to bring back um, other classic Sonic characters when we can, when they make sense. But I'd also like to, you know, feel that, and hopefully people can think about it in their brains, that we don't want an empty world. Um, mm -hmm. We want uh, it to be a living, breathing world. What that means, you sort of have to wait and see. But, okay. you know, it is an adventure game. So you're definitely not saying yes or no, but you guys are open to ideas. Yes, definitely open to ideas. Um, and we want this to be a rich uh, world. And, um, you know, and it's hard to, even from the cartoon perspective, I would imagine that it would be very difficult to make a cartoon solely based on the relationship between the four main characters and Eggman. So, yeah. you know, so we'll see. I'm excited. There's a, there's a lot yeah. of potential there. So, Yeah, even Adventures of Sonic the Hedgehog had to uh, be creative, considering at the time we only had Sonic, Tails, and uh, Robotnik to work yep. with. That would have been a pretty empty TV show. <laughs> exactly, exactly, and, and that's the last thing. That's the last thing we want. We want this, like I, I keep saying, sort of this, this, uh, this big, epic, living, breathing world, um, and that carries across, you know, to every aspect of it. Interesting. Okay. Um, in, in talking about the developer, Big Red Button Entertainment, mm -hmm. um, I've been doing research on them since they've been announced. They really haven't done much until now. Um, have have they really been working on this since they've been founded? Um, uh, no, I can say no. They have not been working on this since they've been founded. They've actually been quite busy. Um, uh, and you also got to remember that the sort of pre-production early days of this project took a while too. Again, same as with the cartoon um, side. Before we even really did much on the game, there was a lot of foundation that had to be built in many ways. So. Um, uh, our, you know, our involvement with them has, has gone back at least a couple years, and the, what inspired us to work with them, obviously the pedigree of, of some of the key, character, uh, key characters, key people there, um, was also a lot of the stuff that they had worked on previously before that as a studio. And, and you know, none of it has really been released as a uh, full-fledged uh, project, but there was a, a lot of exciting sort of prototypes and sort of concepts that they had uh, created for other sort of scenarios that got us really excited about it. Um, and uh, that, in conjunction with the, the various talent that was there, um, made it a very strong sort of uh, argument for them to be able to handle this character-driven you know, action adventure title. So it really was the uh, the lineup that they had of talent that that sold you guys on them. Yeah, I mean, I think it was the potential that, and along, I think, with the twists of the the stuff that they had shown us before. You know, they had their own sort of big red button twist on you know other established genres and things before. And as we were doing sort of our own little twist on Sonic Boom, um, that was a key component too that they could think outside of the box and not necessarily conform to just the standard sort of stereotypical things that you'd expect in, in specific genres. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And um, in terms of selecting them, did, did, you, did Sega go to them or was it vice versa? They came to Sega and said, hey, we want a job. Um, <laughs> Uh, that is a good question, and quite honestly, I cannot answer the specifics of that because – not because I don't want to, but because um, what I was working on as far as the project, project, we were evaluating different people and stuff. So the whole actual specific scenario with BRB and how we uh, met with them and how connected was sort of um, not in my purview. I was asked to evaluate them when we did uh, meet with them and stuff like that, but that's sort of where my relationship with them sort of started. Um, okay. But it could have been – it could have been – you know, we have our um, sort of A&R sort of groups of people who go out and just kind of actively seek out developers for things. So it could have been either a general pitch for an idea for a game that's sent out to developers and they come back with feedback like we sometimes do. Or maybe um, something that they were working on got circulated and, and sort of sparked – ignited a little bit of spark of interest at Sega. And then we sort of pursued it to see what else that they uh, had done before. Okay. Interesting. And – the the one of the big questions people were wondering was you know what what platform would uh, it be on it ended up being the Wii U and there's a lot of talk at least in the fan community of there being the three exclusive games mm -hmm. um, 
was was the Wii U, Wii U all it's hard to say the Wii U. Wii U <laughs> was the Wii U always the lead platform for the game? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, you can't say 100% because what happens at the beginning of every Sonic project, regardless, is that we evaluate platforms. And so, you know, we will probably get it running on something, whether it's a PC or a, another console, just to get something up and running, right? Early prototype phases and things like that. Um, and But it's very early on that we really lock down uh, the platform. So, you know, it, it's... I guess I can only answer that with like, was it was there a case that the Wii U wasn't uh, the only platform? Sure, you I, I could say yes to that, but that's with any project that we work on. Um, but you know, it went through a quick phase where we decided that Wii U was going to be Wii U and 3DS were going to be the target platforms, and so we completely quickly transitioned over. So that's nothing different from any other project at Sega, though, because we basically to get a prototype of a running, we we get it on whatever the easiest hardware you know that is and it could be anything you know it could be a 360 it could be a, a pc it could be whatever you know okay uh david actually had a question uh, a little sonic retro tinged question right right mm -hmm. i was a little curious uh one of the members of big red button uh chris sen i think that's how you pronounce his name uh mm -hmm. he formerly worked at the sega technical institute back in the 90s and he was one of the lead designers behind the aborted sonic extreme for the sega saturn um how involved is he in sonic boom did uh you or anyone at sega know beforehand of his previous affiliation with the franchise and does he seem excited that he's able to return uh, to Sonic in general? <laughs> That's a good question. You know, I applaud, I applaud all the journalistic uh, digging that folks do to find uh, everyone, uh, the team members and stuff like that. It always, it always amazes me. I guess it shouldn't amaze me these days to the, <laughs> to the uh, 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 sort of the efforts that people uh, do. And it's very interesting. I mean, from, from my perspective, it's so exciting to come online every day and see what people piece together from older articles or videos and things like that so but in relation to to sen um yes he is on he is a part of big red button for sure um early at the very early stages um before i was involved i'm not sure if sega knew that he was part of the staff um because i don't think that they would have uh, sort of like looked up everyone in that regard when i started on it which was obviously very early on still um you know when i went down to brb i met him right away and we chatted and um a lot about stuff and um and he's a very passionate guy for sure i mean everyone at brb is but he is a super passionate guy he was i think really excited to kind of come back to sonic after all these years <laughs> um but uh he is a, a key level uh designer um he does a lot of roles but he's a key level designer for sure um and he's just one of the guys i think that past history and sort of past experience really helps this project and also just his passion for the ip uh shines mm -hmm. through as well so uh definitely a great guy and um uh you know really good addition to the project he hasn't been pushing the fisheye lens, has he? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no mentions of uh, Tierra Gubowski in yeah, the cast list? Unfortunately, no. No, no, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. Maybe next so, time. Uh, the next question, I guess I'm going to ask this one. Um, does, it, uh, does the team feel pressure taking over such an iconic franchise like Sonic, especially considering that it's kind of like Sonic Team's like franchise? Well, you know, if this was a project with a huge, uh, rabid fan base, then yes, we would totally be concerned. But uh, given that's not the case, there really isn't any pressure at all. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, pretty uh, tame. Uh, yeah, right. I kid, I kid. Um, well, you know, uh, here's the thing. It's like even if Sonic wasn't attached to this project, right, if it was just we're trying to create this character, this ambitious character – um, action adventure game that tied in with a cartoon um, that's already um, you know a lot of I think self-imposed pressure as well but just the desire to deliver um, a game that and a cartoon that you know make people happy to please the fans and newcomers alike I mean that's just a challenge in itself um, and then you sort of throw in uh, the sonic uh, sort of IP and there's no doubt that there is uh, sort of a, an internal pressure um, at BRB and me and everyone else who touches this project uh, to deliver on a great game and a, and, a, and a great cartoon. But you can't think about that every day. Otherwise, you would just, 
you know, be crushed all the time. Um, mm. You really have to focus on making the best game that you can in the situations, right? That's what game development is, right? No, it's like there's always going to be challenges for each project, um, and there's always the good and the downs, and you just you have to work within those parameters and deliver the best experience that you can. Um, and we're not going to be able to please everyone, right? As, as Lincoln said, you can't please everyone all the time, right? Um, we can try our best and using our past experience, uh, pull from uh, the history of this iconic property and try to deliver uh, a great game. You know, in the end, that's regardless if it's a Sonic game or not, we want to just deliver a great game. The fact that it has Sonic in it and, and is awesome for sure, and um, and we want that to come through in the experience, but we can't all we can't think about it on a daily basis. We just have to focus on making the best product that we can, um, and that's what we do every week and every day when we address these problems and we have these discussions. You know, what serves the gamer, what serves the fans, and and how can we make the best decisions that lead to the best product? You know, in the end. Hmm. Um, and talking about the history of Sonic, like what's like what's your favorite Sonic game, and are you incorporating any ideas from from those games into Sonic Boom, or is this like entirely fresh? Um, well, it be it would be um, I think lame of us to not uh, consider aspects of the rich history of Sonic. So you know we again early on and throughout this process really looked at and evaluated um, all the all the major Sonic titles. Um, I still pop in Sonic titles on a daily basis just to reference something or to think about something um, to see if it makes sense or not. Um, so it was important. But the phrase that we sort of throw around a lot, and I don't know if it if um, you know people use that much externally, but is um, familiar but new. Um, that's sort of a, one of the mantras uh, for for us. In that we want you to. Sonic fans, at least, to, to come into an area and do something and say, wow, you know, this seems familiar. This seems, uh, I, I, it reminds me of something. But then there's also a new twist on it. Um, and I think that short phrase really um, sort of uh, pushes us um, in each area to, to deliver that. And I guess that's the easiest way to sort of sum it up. So, yes, we certainly bring ideas from uh, the past Sonic titles, along with new ideas, but we always, even if we take something that's kind of established in the past in, in previous Sonic titles, we want to do some sort of uh, twist or spin on it uh, to make it feel fresh again. Um, with the game, it's been described as a prequel to the TV show. Does this mean we can expect to see the game released before the TV series? Um, I wouldn't say that's necessarily the case. Um, you know, the the... The game does take place, if you were to say sequentially in a timeline, it would take place before um, the game. But that doesn't necessarily mean that, that it has to come out before, right? I mean, it, it's, you, it's self-contained uh, in its own way. And while uh, stuff that happens in there will certainly uh, help and reflect on the animation, um, it's, not, it's not a necessary thing that you need to watch – or sorry, need to play the game before you watch the animation. That's, that's not our goal there. Um, it's just in the timeline perspective that the events that take place in the game happen before um, the cartoon takes place. Interesting. Okay. So because, yeah, I remember they, they – the trailer, especially for the game, there was a lot of like exploration or discovery, at least in what the characters were talking about. So, yeah, for sure. And I think um, it's the case where you know we have this long sort of adventure, and we're going to be showing you a lot more of this world. So I guess it's sort of a a, a teaser for the cartoon in many ways. Um, it's going to build your foundation of the for the cartoon. Mm -hmm. I think so. In that way, I guess being a prequel helps out as well. But I don't think that you know, if you were to start watching the cartoon before the game, I don't think you're going to miss. You know, it's not like you're, there's this missing component that you're like, why is this thing missing? Um, and then yeah. you play the game, you're like, oh yeah, no, it's not. It's not really like that. Okay, well that's good. I, I definitely hate when the Matrix <laughs> did that with the uh, the video game and the Matrix sequels, where you need really needed one to understand the other. It's always oh, frustrating. Yeah. When yeah, no, no, definitely, definitely not. Um, it will just help you to understand, um, sort of. I think the journey of the characters and uh, uh, Eggman and things like that. Um, you know, there's a sort of a, a journey that they go on in this game, which I think helps to paint how they act and sort of their relationship with each other in the cartoon. Oh, okay, cool.
And uh, David, you had a question. All right. Um, Sonic Boom, it looks to feature many different varieties of gameplay. Uh, how big a role will Sonic's trademark speed play? Uh, do Tails, Knuckles, and Amy move as fast as Sonic? Um, well, I think you've seen in the video that they can move as fast as Sonic. Um, so I will say that there are certainly situations where they they move almost as fast uh, as Sonic. Um, generally, I would say that Sonic is still always in front unless there's certain situations that pre prevent that. Mm -hmm. um, but all I can say is that they can at times achieve the same level-ish of speed as Sonic. Um, and that's not to say that they always can, though. Okay. That's interesting. George, do I have to? Oh, I, my question's the next one. Yes. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, that's all right. Uh, I didn't know we, we, we were taking it in order. Oh yeah. And I don't even have to question them. See. Oh, I, I I'll ask it then. Um, will musicians from Sega or Sonic Team and Sonic Team be assisting in the game's uh, music? Um, you know, I. It'd be great to, to be able to do that. That's not locked yet. We're still uh, still working. We've obviously done some music, but we're forming. I always like to have nods to that stuff when I can. Um, I don't really have anything to state right now. Um, it'd be great if we if we did, um, and it's something that I'm working towards for sure. Um, but uh, we'll just have to wait and see towards E3 how that sort of pans out. But um, I think it'll be it'd be great to have a mixture of folks if possible. We'll see. Very cool. Yeah, I, I remember the uh, the teaser trailer. I, the animation had some pretty nice music, some very cartoony, incidental music playing. Oh yeah. Yep. Um, and the the game trailer I know had uh, had some. Uh, what was that? Was that Skrillex? Yes, it was. Oh. <laughs> okay. That was. Uh, now the amount of feedback on Skrillex alone was impressive. I was. Uh, I was amazed at that. Yeah, uh, I, I I called my girlfriend. I was like, Hey, guess what? Skrillex is in the trailer of the next Sonic game. She's like, Oh. Well, that's nice, but then that's where her interest ended. Cause... <laughs> well, all I can say, all I can say to that is, with every, um, with every trailer, whether it be a game or movie or or TV show, you know, just because a certain music is utilized in it doesn't necessarily mean that it's always in the game. I mean, it might be, right. but that doesn't necessarily mean that. It's just to convey a tone or an idea behind the concept of the trailer. Yeah. Well, I mean, one of the hallmarks of like most Sonic soundtracks is that there's like a wide variety of musicians and styles that are involved. So if if the whole game was just that song, that would that would be a bit <laughs> yeah. unsettling it's anyway. Hours so. and hours <laughs> of of that song. And and Aaron Weber laughing in the background. So that would be a little creepy. I don't. Know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um. Oh, okay. One of the one of the biggest uh, things that everybody talked about when you guys showed Sonic Boom was the character designs. Mm -hmm. um, what what was the why did you guys like feel that you guys had to change the designs? Do you guys want to like separate it from the old universe, or is there another reason? Um, well, there's a myriad of reasons. Obviously, um, one is that we wanted uh, a sort of a different look and feel to this whole sort of property. And, you know, when we started this years ago, um, we're, we're still trying to figure out where does this, where does this fall in the whole sort of canon of Sonic and how does it all fit in? And, um, but we knew right away that we wanted to um, provide, again, going to the character, something new but familiar to them as well. And the, the sort of directions that we went and redesigned them was to obviously put a fresh coat of paint on them, but also to help appeal, I think, to a, a larger audience as well, hopefully. Um, you know, when you look at sort of the, um, the silhouettes of like of superhero teams or everything from like the Avengers of Fantastic Four to the Incredibles to even like Team Fortress to, you know, like the classes, um, and things like that. The the important aspect of it is diversity in the silhouette. Mm -hmm. And um, and you know, Sonic Team in general in the past, for most of uh, the history of Sonic, has maintained sort of a consistent 
um, sort of site, you know, uh, uh, sort of size to height sort of ratio. And part of that is obviously uh, due to the origins of when where Sonic was created back in the in the 16-bit days and, and how that sort of uh, were, uh, you know, they had to work within sort of limitations of hardware and things like that. Um, but um, we wanted to be able to have a situation where if you were not inherently familiar with the Sonic and his friends, that you could get a sense of who they were and what they did from just looking at them. That was a key, that's a key thing. Um, and so, uh, you know, along those lines, we wanted to make sure that these changes were not uh, overtly uh, extreme for no reason, because um, we know, and we were expecting it, that when these guys were unveiled, that the Sonic fan base um, was going to be very split on it. Um, there was going to be a lot of passionate people who didn't understand what we were doing, and there were other ones who did and you know adopted it. But I was happy to see that while um, you know there's still sort of questions about it and uncertainty that given the few days or a week after the event and people had more time to spend with the designs, I think they've come to, for most of them, have come to sort of understand why we did it and, um, and be, be okay with it. Mm -hmm. um, so again, it's, uh, it's a lot of the reasons, those are some of them, but really it's to, it's to put a fresh sort of coat of paint that new, you know, that familiar, but new to appeal to uh, an even broader audience if, if possible um, and allow them to sort of see these characters as they are supposed to be without knowing much about them. And then of course, every change that we um, did, we wanted to really either sell the abilities of the characters or sell to sort of the type of experience and game that we are creating. Yeah, I definitely saw that with the, um, speaking of the silhouettes, that was the, one of the first images you guys actually released. So you definitely uh, definitely considered that to be one of your um, strong early design points with the characters, was the uh, unique sure. silhouettes. Yeah, definitely, definitely. That's interesting, too. I didn't think about that in terms of the 16-bit days, and maybe David can clarify this, but there was a certain limitation to how big the sprites could be, correct? At least... If you were creating a game like uh, Sonic and Knuckles, and you had Sonic, Tails, Knuckles. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not as intimate on the the technical side. I mean, that's I. But I I think because when you think about it, the the tallest sprite really, because even when Sonic and Eggman were standing next to each other on screen, it wasn't like this huge difference between the two of them. Uh, even though, like in the art, you know, Sonic's supposed to be half the size of Eggman, and uh, I think Vector was probably the tallest sprite, and that was in '95, and that was on the 32X. But, mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not as intimately, like I said, familiar with the specifics there because that's not my side of things. I like that would maybe uh, like Mark would probably be better at answering that, or. Um, even Scarred Sun might know better, but I'm just yeah yeah. So <laughs> sorry, yeah, I mean, can't be and, too much help there. Yeah, no, and I wouldn't boil it down to just uh, technical limitations for sure. I mean, yeah. I'm just sort of stating that there are choices that were made um, back yeah. based off that. And um, I mean, know. Sonic was I mean he was designed to be a character in line with Mickey Mouse and Felix the Cat, and then their cast of characters are usually more you know pretty standard. Uh, you may, you know, get a one-off like Goofy's way taller than everyone else, but you're mm -hmm. not really getting. Yep. Um, it's like they were going for that sort of sense. Knuckles is not Goofy, David. Oh no, no, he's definitely. Don't you not. dare! Yeah, <laughs> punch me in the face if I suggest yeah, that. Yeah, especially it would really hurt now. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, no, it'd only be weird if Knuckles had a pet echidna who was named <laughs> something else. Right, like uh, fists. Or... Yeah, it'd be like that goofy and Pluto uh, uh, thing. Yeah, though you have to wonder the animal friends. What are those babies in Sonic's universe? Or I know, I'm I've never really I don't know uh... what's going on there. Uh, I don't know if you want to tread down that. that... I don't. I, I, I really, really don't. weird. Flicky, yeah. he's well. Flicky had his own game, so he's probably an advanced. <laughs> he, had, he had a game before Sonic, so yeah, yeah. he's re he's yeah. retired in Hawaii. That's right. <laughs> in the boom universe, yeah. Oh, I miss Flicky. Too bad he moved away. He's sitting there, sipping lemonade, uh, playing snail maze. That's what he's doing. 
Well, uh, I, I believe we just ran through all our questions, but a lot of really interesting stuff. Um, we really appreciated having you on. Um, yeah, no, like. no worries. I mean, uh, you know, and if there's anything else you guys uh, want to talk about here, even free talk, you know, we certainly can. Um, you know, I know that um, there are still a lot of questions out there, and, and we have a lot more information, uh, you know, uh, trickling out for E3 and things like that. And, um, you know, the one thing I sort of want to get across, well, a couple things, is that for, you know, fans to understand that the amount of sort of passion that these dev teams have, um, you know, beyond sort of their past experience and things like that, their sort of the uh, their appreciation uh, for the the Sonic IP and their passion for this project to deliver um, something that um, fans and newcomers will enjoy and and hopefully fall in love with. Um, you know, it's not uh, it's not something we treat lightly. Um, you know, we're very humbled at the opportunity to make this. Um, this games, these games for people out there, and we continue to work hard every single day to try to deliver, you know, on that promise for people. So, um, hopefully, uh, the proof will be in the pudding, and when you guys get a chance to play it at E3, you'll understand what we've been trying to work towards. Yeah, definitely. We're looking forward to it. Um, I was wanting to ask something else too. I was going to ask him what his favorite yeah. superhero was. Oh, go for it. <laughs> there you go. Oh, just like any sort of superhero? Um, yeah, like, well, in general, you said you, you really like the Marvel. And oh, yeah. I'm a big comic guy, but actually my one of my, my favorite, my probably most favorite, is sort of obscure unless you uh, know DC or watch Justice League Unlimited, but his name's The Question. Um, he's, oh, man. Uh, yeah. he's, uh, he's, so for, for DC, it's The Question. For um, Marvel, it's probably The Taskmaster. Um, so uh, both these guys who are sort of they show up on 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 in the big leagues on on occasion, but um, normally they're sort of in the background a little bit. But they're really awesome, intelligent, well-written characters. Um, and uh, if you look at my desk ever, you'll see a ton of the Question and Taskmaster toys um, on there. So those are those are probably my two favorite guys. Yeah, that's pretty. Good. That's a pretty good answer. Yeah, I like <laughs> because that. Like you that. didn't go you didn't go for the basics, you know, the popular ones. No. Oh question. yeah. No, no. I'm all about the story and the character development and, you know, like these these average – well, I mean, Taskmaster is not completely uh, average guy, but these sort of uh, average guys who are put in sort of different situations and how they react to them, and that's what makes them a hero and not uh, superpowers. So. I think a question that was uh, Steve Ditko did that. So, I mean, you can't go wrong with the guy who designed <laughs> Spider-Man. Um, Stephen, <laughs> I wanted to ask you, we're uh, doing a lot of console-related uh, – theme months coming up this year, mainly because there's so many milestone anniversaries for mm -hmm. uh, for all those Sega consoles. Do you have a favorite retro Sega console or console in general? Um, I'm a big, uh, I have a lot of consoles. I'm a big sort of hardware kind of geeky guy, and so I, I try to get the consoles and handhelds and, and just weirdness and stuff like that. So, um, uh, you know, I like a lot of systems. I mean, uh, you know, the top ones for me actually are even outside of I mean like the Neo Geo uh, CD is a huge one for me uh, over even like the cartridge based ones um, and uh, weird handheld stuff like the Wonderswan stuff if you guys ever did any of the Wonderswan things uh, or uh, of those games but um, if I had to choose one um, big console you know I would I, this is cheesy but I really have to say that <clears throat> I really love the Dreamcast uh, I know a lot of people say that um, but I still, while I play the old consoles um, quite uh, a lot still, um, the Dreamcast is, uh, you know, I pop in tons of games in there from Power Stone to, to the Street Fighter games to everything, you know, and um, I enjoy um, just playing that system quite a bit. Um, we have one near my desk at work here, too, that we pop in stuff. Um, so, um, and I think also that was the system that, um, you know, at a night job, you know, I was working at the time I was working on the PlayStation magazine, but during the nights, I actually, me and a couple of friends created a, a website called Dreamcast Life. That's um, scandalous, sneaking yeah. away from work. I know. I know. <laughs> uh, but, the other woman. Well, but we did have the official Dreamcast magazine at the time eventually, so I felt okay about it. But, um, That's true. The, uh, but yeah, I mean, I love the Dreamcast. We had so much fun with the, with the Dreamcast, so... Um, I definitely it has a soft place, uh, you know, a heart for, uh, you know, in the past. So.
Did you did you know Simon Cox or Francesca Reyes? Oh yeah, 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 um, yeah. Oh, wow. I think I interviewed to help bring in Francesca um, back in the day. I think I was one of the people who interviewed her. We she actually came on first before she did official Dreamcast magazine. She worked on PlayStation Mag PSM with me. Um, mm -hmm. We brought her in there, um, and then um, but yeah, I knew all those guys um, uh, since the heyday of the creation of. Uh, um, ODM and official Xbox magazine and everything oh, wow. else there. So, oh, very cool. Yeah, we had both of them on on our fiftieth show to talk about the official Dreamcast magazine. They were they were a lot of fun, a lot of really interesting stories, especially Simon's, uh, in which he he named the game Res. I was never aware of that. Oh yeah, this is, there's crazy stuff that goes on uh, there, and even uh, Randy Nelson, who was a big part of that, uh, yeah. uh, there he lives not that far from me. He's good friends with me even back from those days. So um, we always reflect back on those uh, the golden days of publishing uh, and all the sort of the fun we had with the and we had like nice sort of like uh, um, sort of combative you know back and forth as well between PlayStation and the uh, Dreamcast magazine. But it was fun and and. Uh, you know, it was great to see, like, who, who got what new games and things like that. So that was an exciting time. Well, if you're ever interested in stepping out of the modern gaming world and joining us uh, in the future, especially in September when we start doing some Dreamcast special podcasts, we'd love to have you on. Oh, yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, definitely uh, ping me and, and we'll stay in contact and we'll see how that goes. But, yeah, that would be that sounds like fun. And um, just in, in reference to Sonic Boom, we're also looking forward to the future of that as well. Uh, it's going to be a big year, I'm sure, for you. Um, is, is there, are there any plans to do any maybe developer diaries or interviews with uh, Big Red Button moving forward? Yeah, I mean, I want to, you know, uh, quite honestly, I made a vow when I started this project uh, some years ago to, um, to play a bigger role as far as interaction with the community sites and Sega fans in general. Um, I know it's been uh, sometimes challenging in the past, um, but I'm here at Sega of America. I, I love interacting with you guys and talking to you guys. Uh, I'm just an old school gamer at heart as well, and, and I'm a fan of a lot of different things, so I understand the passion. So, um, yeah, definitely, uh, you know, whenever there's time or availability or, you know, there's a break in sort of the, the extreme schedules that I put the BRB and Sanzaru guys into, um, mm -hmm. We definitely would love to be able to give those guys opportunities to be interviewed and chat with uh, all the different fan sites uh, in general. And, and obviously, we'll we'll be dragging them to the various cons and E3s and stuff. Hopefully, in the in the months and year ahead. So, oh, very cool. We'll definitely take you up on that. We want to get to know the new the new members of the Sonic family. <laughs> so, I know I'm I'm sure the guys at Sumo Digital know all about how that goes. So. Yeah. No, it's cool. I mean, it's, you know, but it's neat, though. I mean, you can explain. Uh, it was great. You can explain to these guys the, the sort of the impact of Sonic and the fan base and stuff, but they don't, they, no one can really understand it until they're exposed to it. And mm -hmm. just to see sort of the outpouring and, and the feedback, you know, both good and bad, um, of coming out of the New York event and the sheer amount of it mm -hmm. um, was so overwhelming for them and got them so excited and, and uh, to improve things and, and, and take the good comments and the bad comments and run with them. And, and I think that really, you know, ignited even further sort of excitement and passion in the team. And to see like, look, you see all these people, they really care about this, this project. They want to see it, uh, how it turns out. Um, there's a huge fan base out there who, who love these characters and, you know, we should we should be thankful that we get to work on them and definitely try to make people as proud, you know, make them proud for for getting it out there. So we're looking forward to it. It's going to be a wild ride. Cool. Yeah. Thank you. So, <laughs> um, so I want to thank you for coming on. I also want to thank George and David for joining uh, me in co-hosting duties. And, thank you. Um, and uh, if, if you guys want to wrap up the show, we can uh, say our goodbyes and, and roll the uh, ending music. Um, Steven, is there any Sega tune you wanted us to play? I, I was thinking of playing Sonic Boom, but that's so played out. I want to do something <laughs> fresh. Um, any, anything is good. You know, I just love listening. Surprise, surprise us. It's all good. Okay. He's going to put Sonic Boom, I know it. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's fake out. It's going all on. right. Well, um, George, do you have... Uh, any updates on what people can expect in the next episode? I know you had some. Plans. Uh, I actually, we have a plan, but we've been e I've been emailing somebody, but I, it's not confirmed, so I guess we can't talk about it. Okay. Well, um, just to remind everyone, the uh, Sega Tomo Mobile iPhone case contest ends on the 28th. Um, I'll be uh, 
pimping that out for the next few days so we get some more entries. Uh, lots of really interesting photos so far, especially this guy who has like every single European Sega game. That kind of scared me. I didn't. <laughs> on one hand, he he deserves a win. On the other hand, I think he has enough stuff. Yeah, but, I know. That's, um, that's impressive, though. Yeah, definitely. So, um, but uh, let's finish off the show. So, thanks for joining us, and we'll see you guys again soon. Thank you. Bye. Bye.